0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Animal Central. My name is Ainsley Hay, and I'm your host for today. As discussed um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to be co-hosting the show with Sharon, as Sharon needs a very well-deserved break. So we're going to be alternating shows. I'm on this week, and Sharon will be back next week after putting her feet up today, I'm sure. Um, so we're contactable on 861 189 on Twitter at cliffcentral.com, and Facebook, Cliff as long um, as well as WeChat, Cliff Central. So I've got two great guests in today. There's Dr. Clint Austin from Bayer, our regular vet, who's back in today. And he's going to speaking, be speaking with us about eye conditions and dental diseases in dogs and cats. And then I've got Nikki Wright, who is, I think, one of the stalwarts in wildlife rescue and rehabilitation in the country. And she really... Um, has made such a difference to animals. And she's going to speaking to us about African pangolins and wildlife rehabilitation. So welcome to both of you.
0: Hi. First Thank solo you. flight. Congratulations. <laughs> I know. No
1: pressure. <laughs> it's very weird being on the other side of the table. But luckily I have you guys to help me through it. Thanks. So, Clint, I think if we start with you, um, what are most, some of the most common um, conditions that you have with eye problems with dogs and cats?
0: I think eye problems, it depends I think a lot of them are breed specific. Let's begin there. Um, if you're looking at older German shepherds, you've got KCS, your keratoconjunctivitis conjunctivitis sicker, mm-hmm. um, where, which is a chronic sort of immune mediated condition of the eye. Uh, you tend to get sort of blood vessels and a darkening of the cornea as these things grow across the cornea. Mm-hmm. Moving across from there to if we look at our flat faced breeds, um, our bulldogs, our pugs are sharp, that kind of thing mm-hmm. where you start getting all sorts of interesting conditions like the eyelids rolling in known as entropion otherwise um dystichiasis which is eyelashes that sort of grow through the bottom of the eyelid instead of through the front ectopic cilia which are also little strange little hairs growing underneath the eyelid now you can imagine every time the dog blinks it's like a leaf caught under your windscreen wipe mm. on your car and every time the dog blinks this thing scratches across the eyeball okay. causes all sorts of issues um your little pugs in your shop hey, a pug shop pays hey, Bulldogs also well known for what they call their cherry eye. Yes. a lot of owners would have seen that that's an inversion of the thehodderarian gland on the medial side or the inside inside of the eye there, which needs to be surgically corrected. so those are those are sort of breed linked conditions and then you get all sorts of regular day- to day stuff that that humans get affected by as well eye infections, conjunctivitis, foreign bodies in the eye. Cat scratches, mm. all sorts of things.
1: Okay, so we've used a lot of big words, and I mm. love big words. But for our general public out there, what are some of them? What would you think some of the first things are that they should look out for?
0: I think anything abnormal. Okay. I mean, you know your dog well enough, so if he's all of a sudden got very waxy, weepy eyes, mm-hmm. um, if he's got um, what they call blepharospasm, so that means that the eyes sort of. Pinching shut, I'm trying to wink you. I know I like our it. listeners can't hear it, but, but is it any, any kind of pain, any kind of pain in the eye is going to cause this sort of, uh, almost a, a sort of semi-closed eye due okay. to the pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, any kind of discharge in the eye. If the dog, dogs are often rub and claw at their eyes, they'll scratch mm-hmm. at their eyes because they're itchy or they'll rub them against a wall. You can notice that as well. Mm-hmm. Any kind of, um discoloration of the eyeball mm-hmm. so particularly the cornea which is the front surface of your eye mm-hmm. um, often if that becomes opaque or it becomes blue that's a sign of corneal edema or or, or trauma um, and then I mean often old dogs and diabetic dogs get cataracts just like in mm-hmm. humans as well or nucleus sclerosis so any kind of discoloration either on the surface of the eye mm-hmm. or inside the eye um, any kind of blood you can see floating around in the front chamber of the eye anything that just does not look right okay Get them, get them to your veterans, you sooner rather than later.
1: Yes. And then in, t- in terms of discharges, so I am very lucky to be owned by a French bulldog, Gus, who I got through <laughs> French Bulldog Rescue. <laughs> Listeners, you're going to hear a lot about Gus because he is the best dog on the planet. So, for example, him, he's got gunky eyes. He's got weepy eyes. So, what would be normal discharge from the eye and what would be abnormal discharge from the eye that I should look out for?
0: Look There are going to be some dogs that have got chronic sort of weepy Mm -hmm. eyes And they tend to have that associated discoloration Mm -hmm. of the fur Sort of the medial or the middle or the middle parts of the eye
1: Especially things like little Maltesers and Uh, the white dogs Correct, particularly white dogs You're going to see
0: that sort of permanent brown discoloration there And as long as the eye doesn't look uncomfortable In other words, it's not red, it's not scratchy He's not clawing at it or rubbing it on the ground or with his paws or anything like that there's no redness of the white part of the mm-hmm. eye, the sclera. There's no sort of abnormal dark red color of the conjunctiva, okay. which is the pink part of the mm-hmm. eye. I would say okay. okay. Um, and bearing in mind French bulldogs also and, – and your flat base face bees tend to have fairly – how do I say this nicely without nicely. offending you? Nicely. Bulbous <laughs> eyeballs. Yes, they they've got sticky out eyes. Yeah, they protrude yes. quite far. So in some of those dogs, you find that the tear film is not optimal in the front and central part of mm-hmm. the cornea, just because that's sort of the part that's furthest away from the tear gland and tear production. So that's the other thing you need to check, and you're, and, and any vet can check tear production for you okay. very very quickly by means of a Sherman tear test. Mm-hmm. It literally it's a few seconds. They actually test tear production, and the dog says, oh. is this dog actually producing enough tears?" Okay. It doesn't tell you much about the quality of the tear film, um, but it can definitely tell you does this dog have a chronic dry eye, uh, which is which is causing now. That's a bit of a strange dichotomy. Dogs with a chronic dry eye mm-hmm. will actually have a lot of gunky discharge in their eyes. Oh, but they which don't have enough tears. It, it it's yeah, it's either not enough tears or there's a problem with the quality of the tear film. So because mm-hmm. that cornea is permanently dry, you get all sorts of irritation and then you tend to get those thick waxy nasty Gunky. discharges, okay. correct? Yeah.
1: Okay. So then the next topic is teeth. I think it's one of the most important things regarding dogs and cats because people just don't think about it. And the amount of times you go to a friend's house and there's this poor little old Yorkie and you come near it and they say, oh, don't go near it. It smells. And it's just because its teeth are so bad. Um, tell me a bit about the consequences and of having teeth that are not looked after in, in dogs and cats.
0: Yeah, this is something that can't be emphasized strongly mm-hmm. enough. Um, you know we brush our teeth every day mm-hmm. um so and and i know a lot of people who owners are good about it they brush their dogs teeth every single day and i would say if you're not going to brush your dogs teeth at least once every 24 hours don't bother mm. then rather go in for a dental scale and polish once to two times a year okay um just purely because we all know that plaque within 12 to 24 hours for hardens into calculus and that mm-hmm. can't be brushed away mm-hmm. so if you're going to brush do it every day or don't bother okay um, dental health is very very important um Oh, you, you know, you've, you would have heard all the stories about chew toys and bones and this and that. The simple fact of the matter is if there was a magic food that mm-hmm. dogs could eat that kept their teeth clean, we'd be eating it too.
1: But isn't it safe to say that it's better for dogs and cats to eat dry food as opposed to wet food? Because at least there's it mechanical helps. action. The chew
0: toys help. Okay. The dry food helps. But it's not I, a cure-all. I, yes, we've spoken about bones. I believe bones have got no place in a dog's diet. Mm, agreed. Uh, because they break teeth and they get stuck and they mm-hmm. cause all sorts of dramas. Um, people would often say to me, oh, but dogs in the wild eat bones. Yes, you're right. But that's why and they only live for four dogs. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so chronic dental disease has got a number of sequelae and a lot of them are actually... Very serious. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got this chronic bacterial load mm-hmm. in the mouth. You can imagine what all sorts of nasties mm-hmm. grow in there, particularly a mouth that's not being brushed at least mm-hmm. twice a day or once a day. So a lot of what tends to happen with chronic gum disease is um, these antigens or bacterial antigens or bacteria from the mouth constantly sort of penetrating the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And then you're sort of showering the kidneys and the heart valves with these antigens all the time. So chronic dental disease and chronic renal failure and chronic heart failure – Actually, go hand in hand. Believe wow. it or not, hmm. they uh, you know the, the chronic dental disease contributes to chronic renal failure and eventual um, congestive heart failure mm. as well. Um, due to the fact that all these Toxins, antigens, bacteria, yeah. they go and sit in the kidneys and yeah. they cause low grade nephritis. They go and sit on the heart valves, which eventually mm. leads to sort of cardiac insufficiency because the valves now can't seal properly. You get chronic sort of endocarditis there. Mm. So. I think people have become a lot more aware. I think veterinary clinics are, they, there's very few veterinary clinics that are not going to offer good dental good. services for your pets. And at, at least once a year, mm. and in older animals, probably twice a year.
1: And it's good because I mean, some of the pet medical aids now, you can also um, choose an option that includes dental care. So Absolutely. a scale once a year. So there really is no excuse. But
0: Absolutely. Um, there is, there's a little bit of reluctance on the owner's part because it involves a general anesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, But that is necessary, I'm afraid, because there Mm. isn't a dog that's going to lie there with its mouth open while you use an ultrasonic scaler and a polisher on its teeth. They won't tolerate it, and you don't want to force them to tolerate it either because that's just… Yeah. In my books. And the nice thing about general anesthetic is you have an endotracheal tube in place mm-hmm. which seals the trachea and stops that dirty water yeah. running back down into the throat and causing yeah. all sorts of trouble there. Um, and it's, and that unfortunately does make the procedure a little bit pricey because there's a general anesthetic involved.
1: But it's worth it in the long run. Absolutely. I mean, if you're saving your dog's potential kidney failure and also, I mean, if you just think of yourself, if you've got sensitive gums or you've got a chipped tooth or anything, the pain that you're in and now to have a dog and Poor dogs, they you know, so many of them are so food-driven that they'll still chomp their way through a whole bowl of hard food, and they've got broken teeth. So Correct. I think it is very underestimated, and people really must pay a lot more attention to their dogs' and can cats' teeth.
0: Yeah, and these days there are there are vets that specialize or lean a lot towards dentistry, and they're mm. able to do fillings. Um, most vets can do extractions. These days, I mean, there's not very many vets that are equipped to do fillings, but if you've got a tooth that's looking horrible, they hmm. just pull it out. yeah. You know, get rid of the thing before it becomes a problem and forms an abscess exactly. or, or, or a nasty dry socket or anything like that.
1: Yeah. So, general recommendations for teeth, what, um, if you could sum it up for owners, anything else? Use that the dry food,
0: use the chew toys, um, if you, if if you can acclimatize your dogs to brushing, then do so. And mm-hmm. if you're going to brush, do it once a day. And don't use the old toothbrush that you use to clean your techies because you wouldn't use it on your own teeth, so it's yeah. not going to do your dog's teeth much good. Okay. Get them. You can get one of the veterinary toothbrushes. The human toothbrushes work just as well. Um, you know. And you what
1: about things like toothpaste? Surely dogs don't like mint.
0: They don't like our minty, foamy toothpaste, no. but your are going to get you a nice beef-flavored dental gel. Oh, that's which
1: delicious. Which your dogs will <laughs> quite
0: enjoy. I know some of my friends Beefy breath. to use it. <laughs> Beefy
1: breath in the morning. Ooh. <laughs>
0: So yes If you're going to brush Do it every day You can teach your dogs To accept Particularly if you Are quite good about Rewarding them afterwards So Mm -hmm. turn it into And with something healthy Please Mm -hmm. Don't undo all the work You've just done Trying to brush your dog's teeth um, turn the, turn it into a reward situation that they actually enjoy having their teeth brushed. Okay. Some dogs, and you can start off by using your finger, fiddling with your dog or your cat's mouth, so really getting your finger, get them used to the fact that you're putting something in their yes. mouth and poking and prodding, and then reward them for being good about it. Okay. And you can, you can steadily progress to brushing. If you don't have the time, let's face it, we're all busy, we all work, and if you don't have the time, I accept that. Um, then, just at least get out to your vet once or twice a yeah. year for a dental checkup and a scale and polish if necessary.
1: Now, the question of the day. How would you brush your cat's
0: teeth? The same way. <laughs> <believe> <laughs> not, carefully. Think, yes, carefully. <laughs> That's the problem with cats. You know, they've got five sharp ends and dogs have only mm-hmm. got one. Um, and I'd say with an older cat, you're probably not going to have great success. Yeah. But, but again, it depends on the nature of the cat. I know mm-hmm. people who brush cat's teeth every single day, and the cat actually quite enjoys it. You need a smaller brush, you need something a bit more delicate. Um, some people actually just use what they call a dental glove, so it's got a sort yes. of a brace, slightly abrasive surface on the fingertip, and they put the toothpaste on there, mm. and they rub that on their cat's teeth, which is maybe not ideal, but it's better than nothing. Mm. But cats can be taught as well. They're mm. probably a lot less tolerant than dogs, mm. um, but uh, and, uh, and again, the same rules apply there. If, if uh, Cats probably more so, mm. um, because as they get, cats tend to live longer than mm-hmm. dogs mm-hmm. Uh, and cats tend to get plagued by chronic renal failure when they're yeah. older and it actually contributes to the gum disease which then contributes to the chronic renal failure so it's like a, like a, a delightful circle yeah absolutely okay. so again go visit your vet
1: great well thank you very much i think that's great been very pleasure. helpful info and we're going to have a lot of smiley white nashes on our pets now nice
0: to see you again
1: <laughs> thanks clint <laughs> so moving on back to nikki now Ooh. um so nikki you are involved
2: with the african pangolin work and Pangolin working group That's Can you tell right, us yeah. about that um, well, it started for me about six years ago when pangolins were um, started turning up on um, you know the uh, illegal trade of wildlife mm. so we, we got a phone call one day and somebody had um, in a roadblock had found a pangolin in somebody 's boot oh, wow. on its way down from Limpopo or wherever, and I got presented with this animal i 'd wow. never seen one in the wild. Hmm. Um, they're and on everybody's bucket list For our <laughs> listeners
1: listening who don't know what a pangolin Can you explain wow.
2: what they are? How do you describe a pangolin? Um, it's kind of like a It looks a bit like an artichoke oh. it's, a, <laughs> it's a mammal It's the only mammal um, on earth With scales That's amazing. On it. So it has these hard scales which form a Protective, um, almost like an armor oh, wow. um, And the animal rolls Up into a tight ball um, Its only real um, Threat is man Oh wow! Um, so you know they roll up into this into this tight ball, which you can't really get into. If you mm. were a, even if An you are a lion or mm. or a honey badger, they have difficulty um, getting in there. Um, but of course, people can just pick them up and put them into a sack. Uh, that's a problem. So um, interesting creatures because they have this incredibly long tongue, which is um, as long as their entire body. Oh wow! Um, and they are. Myrmecophagus, which is a nice <laughs> That's word, a big word, which means they eat ants and termites, oh, and wow. that is their entire diet. So they do a really That's good amazing. job on the planet of keeping those those insects down. And how um, long are they at adult size? You mean how long do they live for? No, the length. How long is their body? Well, it depends. It depends on the species. We've got four species here in Africa. Okay. We've got the ground pangolin, which is in the drier, uh, more southern areas, and then you've got. Um, a giant pangolin, oh. which is very rarely seen, uh, in central Africa. Oh, wow. And then two tree pangolin species, which are, which are across the rainforest, um, and oh. western Africa. Oh. They're a lot smaller. They're arboreal, so they need to be, you know, smaller and lighter. But our ground pangolin can be anything from between sort of five to eight kilos oh, wow. as a young adult. Um, going right up to about 15 or 16, which is a, a uh-huh. heavy animal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's quite substantial, so you mentioned that they are being persecuted for the trade um, what what trade exactly
2: well throughout africa they they 've been used traditionally and culturally uh, West africa they're used for um, the, the, the bush meat uh, okay. mainly um, but they have um, Traditional medicine uses mm. um, Their scales are valued for protection oh um, th- There are all sorts of uh, cultural okay. um, Values attached to them Depending on which tribe You, you know in which country you're okay. dealing with um, So that's, that's been a traditional uh, Use in Africa But at the moment um, You know it's a global trade hmm. um, The huge demand uh, Of end users in China And Vietnam mm. and the East in Asia So uh, the four species in Asia are under uh, severe threat okay. And because of the um, trade links with um, Asian mm. uh, countries in Africa yep. It's increased the demand on our pangolin okay. So it is a huge, huge problem And it's um, it's driven by the same syndicates that drive the rhino and yeah. um, ivory trade All those other yeah. wild animal yeah. parts
1: yeah. And I suppose, I mean... It's so sad because I'm an absolute bush lover and mm-hmm. every opportunity I get to the book to go is to the bush. And mm. I've seen a pangolin once in my life, which mm. is when I lived and worked in Limpopo on a game reserve. Yeah. And you know, the numbers of pang, it's huge numbers that are being taken out of the African wild, isn't it? And just how do they find
2: them? Well, I mean, that's the amazing thing. I mm. mean, because you go on a bush drive and it's, and, and, and it's difficult to see one. You yeah. know, you're, you're very lucky if you do see one. Yeah. Um, But these syndicates and and the guys on the ground obviously know how and where Mm. to find them. Um, And the the horrible thing is, the sad thing is, the tragic thing is, is that we don't know how many numbers are leaving. You know, it's only when when, um, shipments are intercepted at harbors or at uh, border posts that we have an idea, and I mean that um, is probably the tip of the iceberg.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's only a mm-hmm. tiny portion of what's going out.
2: Yeah. And are they
1: um, exporting them live or dead? Or do they process them here? How does how does the, the I work? don't
2: think they're alive when they leave when they leave okay. African shores. Um, I know in Asia when they do these uh, when they have had um, you know busts at, yeah. at harbors and and border posts, a lot of them are alive still. Okay. Um, the Asian pangolins. Mm. Um, they have found you know because we do um you know a lot of um dna work and mm-hmm. genetic work on pangolins so um we've been able to identify um scales that have been found in oh. asia oh wow um in in these big of busts, african animals of african animals so that's why we know that they're beginning to 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 take our animals yeah. over to asia now yeah Oh, that's abs- oh its tragic, you it know. Is tragic. Our wildlife
1: has such a hard time with diminishing habitat and everything, and now with these various Additional threats, threats yeah. illegal and legal, yeah. it's horrendous. So, yeah. what 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 is the focus of the African Pangolin Working Group?
2: Um, well, it's it's a multifaceted group. Um, it started because of um, pangolin, you know, sort of turning up in in wildlife rehab centres, mm-hmm. um, and it it drew together a selection of very interesting people, um, mm. researchers, um, academics. Um, other rehabbers, you know, in Zimbabwe and Namibia. Oh, fantastic! And uh, and and so it started. You know, we sort of thought, well, we better do something about this. And and the African Pangolin Working Group was formed in 2011. Okay. Uh, we only had our official launch last year. Oh. Uh, you know, it's things, a lot of work. <laughs> things take time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's been mainly f- um, research driven. Um, a lot of amazing research has been going on, which you can see on our on our website. Is www.pangolin.org. Mm-hmm. Um, so DNA, uh, uh, molecular research, oh, wow. um, traditional use throughout Africa, uh, behavior and ecology, all sorts of different uh, facets of research have, okay. have gone on.
1: Because I imagine there's not a lot, no- there wasn't a lot known about these animals prior to this. Well,
2: there hasn't been because they're such an amazing, secretive yeah. sort of animal, you know, and you don't get to see them. Yeah. Um, and, and uh Darren Peterson who's our co chair has done a has done a lot of research of them in the field in okay. the Kalahari. So he was my go to person when I discovered um you know, when I had this pangolin put into my arms. Oh. Um and was extremely helpful. Um and then we've got Lisa Highwood up in Zimbabwe yes. who, who is like the pangolin guru, okay. the pangolin whisperer. She has a lot of experience wow. with rehabbing uh and, and caring for injured and ill pangolin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the 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 group is quite diverse. That's fantastic. Mm, We've just had our first pangolin uh, international pangolin conference, which was last month at Mabula. Well,
1: that's fantastic Which was,
2: was awesome Yeah, we had people From all over the world How many
1: delegates Did you have?
2: I think there were Probably about 30 Oh, that's um, brilliant And a lot of Asian uh, delegates it oh, Which that's was good. wonderful To hear and see What, what amazing work They're doing Wow um, And just interacting With everybody And sharing yeah. and, and that's yeah. so important It's so important To share the knowledge When you've got yeah.
1: The, same, the yeah. same type of animal And the same problems mm. You know, it's very important To get that parallel um, mm. Communications mm. going So what can the general public Do to help the platform? Of the pangolin.
2: Well, I think um, for for us, I mean, we need to get uh, the plight of the pangolin out there. So okay. it's it's awareness mm. and education. Um, it's very difficult to protect something that people don't know about. Exactly. So they need to, you know, go onto our website, go onto our Facebook page. What's the um, Facebook page? It's just African Pangolin okay. Working Group. If you put that in, you, it it would come up um, to have a look and see. Uh, it's quite current. So it. It will educate people as to what's happening with pangolin in Africa and internationally. Brilliant. Um, it's just to let people know that, you know, although we're obviously concerned with all the animals that are yeah. being traded, you know, and the focus is on rhino mm. and, and now on elephant, which is, yeah. which is a very serious situation. Um, but animals like, like pangolin are fast disappearing. It's currently the most poached mammal on Earth. Really? That and is terrifying. It is terrifying and it's it's equally ter- it's more terrifying because people don't know what it is. Exactly. You know, and, they're not and do aware we do about we even it.
1: know how uh, how many how many of them we have alive currently in the wild in no, South Africa? No, we don't. So we don't even know it's the three. It's impossible to
2: to say. You know, yeah. with rhino and elephant, they they're big tell. enough to see, Exactly. You know, and you can put a man with a gun next to every rhino yeah. if you needed to. But pangolin, we don't even know where they are. So oh, <laughs> it's it's impossible. It's a very difficult situation. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but
1: to all of our listeners I really encourage you to go at home and do some research on the pangolin because mm. they honestly once you've seen a pangolin even mm. a photo of a pangolin they are they dinosaur Incredible. mystical yeah. fairy like they are amazing they really are. animals mm. and as you say you know our big Our big animals that are under threat are getting a lot of the spotlight because it's very easy. Everyone has seen a rhino or Mm. most people have seen a rhino and an elephant. But our pangolins, I think, are fading quite fast in the background. So Mm. I'm really, really glad that there are people like yourselves who are doing this work. And I think if if we start a community... conversation about pangolins and start talking about this and who's responsible for protecting them or or or, or taking the steps to look at this you mm-hmm. know is it all falling onto ngo private organizations or have you had buy-in from government
2: well i mean you know there are national uh, laws and, mm-hmm. and, and legislation protecting um, pangolin and international laws okay. and legislation protecting them but it comes down to, you know, enforcement on uh, the ground yeah. and education on the ground. Yeah. And, um, and that's part of the focus that we need to be yeah. looking at as the Pang- African Pangolin Working Group. Um, and, and just encouraging and educating and informing. Yeah. And have you had any buy-in from private,
1: um, game reserve owners in that? Cause obviously the, the dichotomy we have in South Africa is that you've got government owned land, mm. which is a government's responsibility. And then mm. we've got private owned yes. land. And, you know, the private owned land is used in a very profitable, ma- profitable manner. So yes. have you had any interest or buy-in?
2: Yes, there's been a lot of interest. Great. Um, you know, even if in with just from the sightings form on our on our pangolin oh, uh, on our website, which people need to fill in. So, so people can see report a pangolin. Yes. Oh, I hope I get to fill in one of those yes, forms someday. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, private private reserve owners have been very supportive. Um, they're also quite keen to look at their electric fencing because um, you know other threats that affect pangolin are electric fencing. Oh dear. Um, because they they hit the tripwire. Oh no. Um, and then curl over it and keep curling over oh, it that's and, awful. and get electrocuted. Oh, that's horrible. Um, and then also roads, you know, they, mm. they do get knocked over on roads mm. fairly frequently, especially up in the Northern Cape, uh, Kalahari regions oh where you've got those long stretches of roads yes. which people, you know, Fly gun far down. Too fast yes, down, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, the electric fences are a problem. So, um, there, there are reserve owners that are keen to, um, to look at changing their fences. Brilliant. To protect their pangolins, yeah.
1: That's brilliant. Mm. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad that we, you know, speaking about these little pangolins. They're definitely an amazing species that mm. should be close to everyone's mm. heart. So I think we're going to have a bit of a, a music break now, Duncan.
0: Animal Central on
1: CliffCentral.com. Welcome back to Animal Central. That was Win Win by Civil Twilight, um, an awesome new tune that I'm loving at the moment. So, you are more than welcome to call us on 0861 555 189. Even though we're Animal Central, we don't bite. So, please give us a ring or otherwise give us a shout on WeChat. Um, so, I have forgotten to tell you a little bit about myself. Sharon asked me to because otherwise you're not going to know who I am. So, I'm a veterinary nurse by trade. Um, I am... Majority of my experience is with wildlife in a professional capacity and it's definitely... One of my main passions. So Sharon's our mad dog lady and I'm our wild thing. And I think that's how most of our shows will go. But I also am very passionate about domestic animals. As I have mentioned numerously, I have a little French bulldog called Gas and I have a very cute little cat that I adopted from an SBCA called Nubbins. I have a pretty varied job outside of Cliff Central. I'm involved with arranging um, dressage shows at an amazing indoor equine um, facility in Midrand called Hollyberry Hall. And we have our first show on the 27th to 29th of November. So if you are a dressage competitor, please give me a shout on ahey a- at com. And also we do um outreaches and sterilization campaigns in Toes in the Western Cape. It's a wonderful community there that really needs a lot of help. So we ship off up there every now and then and we work with the community, ensuring that the animals that they have are cared for. We build kennels, we sterilize the animals, we teach them how to feed their animals. And that's really one of the things that helps me sleep soundly at night, giving back to the community. So that's more than enough about me. We've had a wonderful first start to my first solo show. Um, Dr. Clint Austin from Bayo gave us some great advice, and Nikki Wright has been speaking about pangolins. So Nikki's still with me now, and we are now going to be speaking about wildlife rehabilitation in South Africa. It's a, also a topic close to my heart because my involvement with the world of animals started with wildlife rehabilitation, and mm-hmm. Nikki was actually one of my mentors mm-hmm. when I was a t- little pup, and I was volunteering at Free Me Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre in was a right. Long time
2: ago, hein? it was <laughs> quite a long time
1: ago. And I mean, Nikki, you really have been one of the founders, and um, you know, real game changers in wildlife rehabilitation in South Africa. How how do you think that it's changed from from the days when I was cleaning cages and getting scared by owls?
2: <laughs> well, hopefully, it's. Um It's improved on a professional, more professional Mm -hmm. capacity. Um, Hopefully, um, you know, there's a lot more education and there's a lot more guidance out there, you know, Mm. internationally um, on the Internet. And people hopefully are bringing it out of their backyards and Mm. out of their kitchens into a more professional uh, realm. Mm. You know, it is a profession and it's not something that uh, should be done as a hobby, um, you know, in your your backyard. So hopefully in those ways, you know, just cleaning up, cleaning it all up, you know, working very closely with vets, mm. working closely with the scientific community, doing research, assisting in those in those sort mm. of fields, um, hopefully that's how it's improved. Hopefully. Because, yes. you know, wildlife
1: rehabilitation, it's so appealing to General Joe blogs because, mm. I mean, you find either this little baby animal or this injured animal, and it is so tempting to take mm. them into your home and do it yourself. Yes, but. Yeah.
2: Often they end up doing more harm than good. Would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. I think mm. I think people's, you know, a lot of people have a natural instinct to, to rescue and to mm. care for something. And um, I think that uh, sometimes that's not even necessary. You know, sometimes mm. all it is is a bit of education and explaining to people, well, that's, that's a baby that's in its process. It needs to come out of the nest. It mm. needs to be on the ground if it's a, a fledgling bird. Mm. And once you've explained that process, people will understand. But, of course, there are people that do take things into their own homes, you know, whether it's a baby bird or whether it's a blessbock or, yeah. a, you know, whatever. Yeah. serval kitten and um and and it can end quite tragically you know for the animal can and for the people and as well. for the people i mean you hear yeah. horror
1: stories i mean well, the one that always stands out is a gentleman somewhere in limpopo and he hand raised two bush pigs mm. and they killed him and they partially ate him oh my god you know wild oh. animals are potentially very very dangerous exactly. so not only yeah. and i think um not only are the animals at risk because mm-hmm. if if you don't know what you're doing when you're raising an animal mm-hmm. a wild animal mm-hmm. so wait let's get back to basics so
2: the 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 core focus of wildlife rehabilitation is: core focus is to um, treat or raise an animal um, and release it. That's it. At the end of it. But it's not only Mm. just release it. You can't just open the door and off it goes into the, into the horn free. Yeah. Mm. It's not that at all. So the release process is, is critical. It's critical that that is done correctly. Mm. Otherwise the animal won't be able to fend for itself or know what it's doing. Mm. So Mm. the whole, the whole process has to be very, very you know well well done and, mm. and carefully done and professionally done mm. in order to have a success because anyone can open a cage door and fast exactly. something out but exactly. it 's whether it 's going to survive, know how to socialize with its own kind, yeah. and ultimately reproduce with its own kind yeah. that 's the key thing if if you can bring an animal to that point. Then you've done a good mm-hmm. rehab job
1: And also not be um, too familiar Or unafraid of humans I think yeah, that's one, yeah. you know, one of my first things um, Now obviously I'm flying this show For mm-hmm. <laughs> every now and then But mm. so often I would In my various positions working with wildlife and rehabilitation, you'd hear of some wildlife rehabilitators um, arriving at a TV set or a radio show and they've got a baby ex or a, Mm. you know, a baby caracal Mm. or a baby owl in that they've brought in there. Mm. But that's not wildlife rehabilitation because you need to make sure that those animals are not used to transport. Are not used to people.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think yeah. that's that's some little things like that. I think people start with the good intentions, but they don't realise that they're actually not doing what's best for the animal. Mm, the impact. Mm. The impact.
2: A collective impact on all oh, oh, of all those um, situations mm. on that animal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's sorry, listeners. That's one ground rule that I'm having. We're not going
1: to be having any wild animals in on show yeah. except for myself and some other fun guests.
2: Yes. <laughs> Keep it to that. Keep it to the. Two-legged things.
0: exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah.
1: and so with is there unity in wildlife rehabilitation in South Africa, um, and how do you think? Do you think that's a vital
2: thing to have? I think traditionally, wildlife rehabilitators in South Africa have not worked with unity. Mm. Um, it's been you know everybody's been so flat out doing their own thing Um, that there hasn't been um, huge communication between wildlife rehabilitators. I'm hoping that that is starting to change. Good. I'm hoping um, through... You know doing wildlife uh, rehab courses um, and and just chatting to people and trying to keep the doors open mm. i'm hoping that that is going to change that's an exciting development, mm. so you say that there mm. are courses available yes, um, okay. at the end of this month, actually on the twenty first and twenty second mm-hmm. the IWRC, which is the international Wildlife Rehab Council, mm-hmm. which is based in America, um, has a trainer out in this country and we're holding oh. a basic wildlife rehab. Uh, training course. That's fantastic. At Delta Park, yeah. And that's open to everybody. You okay. know, no so, even interested members of the public? Interested members, veterinary nurses, vets, oh, technicians, anybody. Wildlife rehab. That's fantastic. You know, there's no um, holding back. We, we, But that's open so important everybody. because the knowledge needs to be shared. Exactly. And everybody needs to get onto the same sort mm. of foundation. So, if you've got everybody with the same sort of education and the same um, foundation mm. um, with which to go forward um, with. Then, you, then you're starting to, to create that unity, yeah. you know, establish a, a baseline. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's a really yeah. great initiative. Yeah. I think it's positive. Yeah. 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 And how would people contact you? Um, they can get hold that. of me through my email address. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can get hold of me on Facebook. Brilliant! Yeah,
1: because that's that. I think that course is fantastic. Because for so long, I mean, America um, is leaps and bounds ahead of us in some things, but Mm. I think we're leaps and leaps and bounds ahead of America in terms of our initiative. Because we Mm. make a plan (laughs) with everything. (laughs) We've we've got to
2: be pioneers, exactly, (laughs) exactly, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So,
1: but it's so important that knowledge sharing like that is coming here because I think you know, um, so many people want the knowledge. Mm. Yes, some people don't because we have people who think that they're experts unfortunately mm, mm. Um, but there's so many people that want the knowledge so I think that's a really good platform to hopefully bring that unity that we that yeah. we need within the industry yeah
2: I think so mm. I think it's a start yeah. you've got to start somewhere and you know we're also Um, Formulating the South African Wildlife Rehabilitation Standard through the SABS. Oh, brilliant! And I think that's also a positive move, you know, because then you'll you'll have a standard which is applicable and then we and recognised, and then we will have the education to go with it. Yeah, and I think that's a good start. That's a very very
1: good start. Yeah, start. And have you had any? um, Because obviously, wildlife is our heritage, and Mm. wildlife rehabilitation. I think in the olden days, it used to be. A tunny who used to get a, a mouse bird and a bulbul and a barn owl. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, a tunny who lives on a farm and raises a blessed park. But wildlife rehabilitation has really, um, grown nowadays and the variety of species and you're getting highly endangered species. I mean, so your work with mm-hmm. the black-footed cats, mm-hmm. um, has mm-hmm. been, I mean, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And those exciting. are ex- yeah extremely mm-hmm. endangered animals and you yeah. did it in such a scientific manner, which mm-hmm. was, I think, really, showed um, what, how rehab should be done in this country. It's yeah. not just backyard operations. No. There's, there's vital scientific impo- uh, information that
2: yeah. needs to be gained
1: and yeah. collected.
2: Well, I think rehab centers are a perfect um, uh, vehicle for that because we've mm. got these species in our hands. Exactly. You've got such close insight into behavior mm. and, and um, you know, how to stimulate behavior and, mm. and encourage animals to be there, who they are, that, that particular species. Um, you, you get to see all the secrets that these animals have, wow. that, these sec- that these species yeah. have, and I think uh, you know if you if you can couple that with the academics and the scientists and the researchers. Yeah. So you use their information that that they've got their expertise, coupled with your own hands-on physical experience, and you've got the animal in the hand. You create a whole. Mm-hmm. So I mean, with the black-footed cats, for instance, that we did do yes. through the Freemie Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre. Um, We worked with the National Research Foundation. Mm -hmm. So we took DNA from the cats, Mm -hmm. um, did all the the measurements and the, um, you know, physical uh, measurements of the Mm -hmm. cats. So that DNA has gone into the the biobank at the National Research Foundation. So that's kept. We've got all the new information on the the measurements. We put telemetry collars on them. Um, They were tracked for... Almost a year. The That's female, amazing. yeah, the female. These were two hand-raised babies. Wow. The female mated with a wild uh, Afri- uh, black-footed cat and produced two babies. Oh. I mean, the whole thing was so mind-blowing. Was From a rehab point of view, it was was a it was actually a first. Oh, that must first. have been rewarding. And worked with um, Alex Lieber who's the black-footed cat uh, guru, you know, mm-hmm. internationally. Um, and I think that's the way rehab needs to go as far as possible. You know, work with other experts, liaise with other rehab centers who've done that species before. You know, don't be shy to ask for help or to reach out. Yeah. Because in that way, we can all do the best for the animals that are in our hands. Exactly. And Mm. that
1: ultimately is what we all should be working towards. That should be the whole focus. Yeah.
2: That should be the only focus.
1: Exactly. And getting them back into the wild. And I mean, you know, unfortunately, some people have the argument, oh, but, you know, wildlife's not safe in the wild. But, I think it's far worse for wildlife to be confined to captivity in in instances, especially if they're just going to sit there and do nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, the wi- an, wild animals are built to deal with the threats in the wild. Absolutely. They're built to, you know, fight for their lives and mm. to overcome things and mm. outwit things. So mm. that's what they're geared for. So it's so important because... There are so many people taking animals out of the wild. So Absolutely. it's vital yeah. that they put people like yourselves, putting them, putting back, them back in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, animals have got um, instincts mm-hmm. and wild animals instincts are just below the surface. Mm-hmm. And as a wildlife rehabilitator, your job is just to start stimulating those instincts. Mm. And if you do it correctly, those instincts come out and it's actually yeah. astounding. And if those animals' instincts are, are are stimulated and they're out and they're recognizing it it's it's uh, it stimulates them into their natural behavior oh wow, and if you can do that properly. The animal knows who it is and it will know how to look after itself in the wild. Exactly. And obviously you're not going to, you know, release things in an unsafe area. Mm -hmm. You're going to carefully choose Mm. your release sites. You're going to try and do as much post-release monitoring Mm -hmm. as possible so that you can watch and observe what happens. If that animal isn't doing very well, if it's a youngster, you can support feed it, you know, Mm. that kind of thing. So you work with ethical reserves with Ethical people who understand the process mm. and who are prepared to give that animal time—that's amazing. Um, and and that's as much as you can do. You can yeah. only do as much as you can do, yeah. but do it the best way you can. Exactly. Yeah. No,
1: yeah. that's that's absolutely spot on. Mm. And a personal question here: What's you what if what's your favourite? Um, animal or species that you've worked on. I'm sure it's ne- next to impossible to pick one because you've got so many amazing ones. And you can't say pangolin because they're my favorite.
2: I was going to say I've got three. Okay, top 3, that's good. <laughs> um my top top favorite animal um is oh, it's difficult to say actually, but it it actually is pangolin. I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> we'll share
1: it then. But,
2: but closely followed by otters. Oh goodness! You know, otters are one yeah. of my very um, favourite things. They are amazing, and they're very closely followed by honey badgers. Oh, those are three. <laughs> that's a very good top three. All the
1: naughties, say. Oh, the they're amazing. Yeah. And oh. have you have you had a lot of those
2: animals in rehab? I've I've been very fortunate to have raised um, quite a few. Honey badgers and wow. and also otters, Cape oh, wow. clawless otter. Oh, that's amazing. They're a handful. Yeah. they really are a handful. They're very very sweet animals and potentially very dangerous. Potentially as well. very dangerous. Yeah. yeah, both both species are. They um, they unpredictably aggressive. Okay. Actually, otters. That's even when you're raising them I and you're it. you're the mummy. You know. You, <gasps> You actually have to have a quite a firm boundary with them. Wow. Um, and they're delightful things. You know, you end up stinking a fish and uh, <laughs> being wet from your knees down because they, <laughs> they're constantly wet. But they're very entertaining. They're, they're extremely intelligent, both otters and, and honey badgers. Um, they, they problem solve. They work things out. They, they have senses of humor. That's amazing. They're mischievous. And I think that's probably what appeals to me. Their, their <laughs> sense of humor and their mischief. <laughs> Oh no. my goodness. Yeah, yeah, I
1: think, I think that's also a, a myth that's, um, blown. Everyone thinks that wildlife rehabilitation is so glamorous and you just have a house of these cute, cute <laughs> mewing little baby <laughs> things. Meanwhile, the reality, it's quite as you said, yeah. it's stinky, it's dirty, it's messy, and there's no sleep. Yeah. There's no sleep. There's no sleep yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I I sympathize with friends of mine who've had human children, but I also look at them and I say, no, 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 that's nothing. You're not getting Mm. up every hour to bottle (laughs) feed a concussed giraffe calf that you have to literally move her foot leg by leg. So it's not nearly as glamorous, mm. but I think if you do it in the right way, with Mm. the right reasons, Mm. it is undeniably rewarding. Would you agree?
2: I think it is. I think to see an animal go off and, and know who it is and know that you've made a difference mm. um, even to that animal is, is just amazing. To to know that you've contributed to science and research mm. and the future knowledge of those animals, mm. I think, is even more mind-blowing. And it's just the opportunity to be able to do that is, is mm. and work with, with those sort of people that, you know... Uh, is just so amazing. I think that's awesome. Um, very rewarding. It's also extremely sad, and it's yeah, it can be heartbreaking. extremely heartbreaking, and it can be frustrating. Mm. Um, you know, you you get to see the worst side of human nature, yeah. um, and um, you know, you lose animals as well. Mm. But you have to bounce back because you can't help all of them. Exactly. And the ones that you can help, you, you to do realistic. you do uh, try and do your damnedest to yeah. to do a good job, and that's what keeps you going through it. You know, yeah. yeah. So if
1: members of public um, are interested in wildlife rehabilitation or they feel that they can help in some way, how, what what should they do? And what do you feel are some of the things that are most needed to help wildlife rehabilitation in South Africa?
2: Um, I think wildlife rehabilitation in South Africa needs funding. Mm. I mean, we're all NGOs. Everybody's, you know, working flat out. Um, and so I you get no
1: government support or funding. No government
2: support or funding. How at surprising. All. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think funding is is probably the most critical thing okay. for any any NGO mm. in wildlife at the moment. Um, for members of the public to get involved, it's to get hold of your wildlife, your local rehab centre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, find out what their volunteer program is. Mm. Find out how you can make a difference, and it doesn't have to be hands-on volunteering. Exactly. It can be funding it can be you know picking picking up animals it can be yeah. doing grocery shopping it can be all sorts of things yeah. a myriad of different skills are required so it's any one of those um and if you're really interested in in um, taking it further um, go online and research courses and and training that's available
1: yeah yeah and is do you think there's adequate coverage um, throughout South Africa of wildlife rehabilitation centres, or do we have big sort of black
2: holes where there is no one that can help? There seem to be a, a couple of black holes in, okay. in different areas of the country. Um, mm. So I know the Western Cape doesn't have. A yeah, not know, even th- one. Th- they've got some sort of that specialise, you yeah. know, um, in seabirds and and various other species, but not one not big general one. Western Cape Rehab Centre. Yeah. So there are there are gaps, definitely. Yeah.
1: Mm. And I suppose you know to things like volunteers and assistance with transporting animals, if they're animals in those sort of black hole areas mm. to try and get them there. I think that's something.
2: Yeah, a courier system.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. and I think that's the problem. I think we all so. All you hear is, please give money, please give money. Mm. And it's the reality because... We, you know, in South Africa, it's it's a very difficult climate for um, non-profit, non-governmental organizations in all spheres, Mm. especially with animals, Mm. because we've got so many humans that need help. And, you know, animals take the second rung, unfortunately. But if if you don't have the money, there's so many other things that you can do. And everyone
2: has a skill set. That's exactly it. Everybody's got a skill, no matter what it is, whether it's answering a phone or helping with cleaning or doing shopping or... You know, Marketing, if you're an IT person, you can yeah. give your IT skills, you know, there's, there's. Yeah, every facet of an organisation. Yeah. yeah. So
1: people must just start thinking out of the box and really try and help with it. I think that'll make a big difference. Exactly. But I've read there's you know with all these water shortages, it's been quite horrendous. And down in um, KZN, the South Coast, and that they're having a huge problem apparently with um, salt in the water, in the drinking water. Oh
2: really?
1: Yeah. And but now people can't drink the drinking oh, water. No. But I think it's important that people must realise that the animals can't, can't drink, drink the water yeah, either. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, you know, for domestic animals it's important that they mm. put the water aside. Obviously mm. wildlife makes a plan, but mm. what sort of effects um or would or concerns does this big drought that we're
2: having in South Africa have on wild
1: wildlife?
2: Well they're huge, huge concerns because obviously the um the grazing and the browsing is not as good mm. as it should be and and these animals are all going into their um their breeding season now. Oh dear. So the females won't be able to, to, to maintain the nutrition. Exactly. Yeah. And and uh, lactate properly. So um I, I know whenever there are a drought there are huge concerns where, where animals have to be um support fed and yeah. that's huge cost to farmers. Exactly. Um and game reserves. So um you know, you'll see you'll see like you're seeing cattle starving, you'll see yeah. the same happen with wildlife.
1: Oh, it's awful. Yeah. And I suppose they uh, knock on things like fires fires as well, especially the problem is now when you have fences. Mm. Wildlife are pretty good at getting away from fires when there are no fences. Yes,
2: exactly. But when there are fences it's absolutely fatal. Yeah, exactly. It's a a horrible combination. Yeah, all around it's very worrying. Yeah. Oh, people and
1: animals affected. It's Quite dire. But I think it's important that everyone does spare a thought for the animals as well. Um, mm. It's not just the people that are affected. Mm. And if you know of fires or drought, um, um, severely affected animals, it's important to co- contact your local SPCA. I think they're mm. one of the first ports, ports of, of call. Ports of call, yeah, mm. absolutely.
2: Yeah, Definitely, so. and
1: then try and work together as communities to get resources for these animals. And to have a relief effort.
2: There. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, the government's
1: supposed to do disaster funding, Supposed to. Well, they
2: eventually come to the party, I suppose, somewhere down the line. So After all the
1: animals have died. <laughs>
2: yeah. But I think the communities, you know, where these animals all live, are the first um, uh, port of call, yes. really. So your local SPCA and your yes. local communities there are always groups of people willing to help. I mean, people are amazing. Yeah. Um, and everybody will rally round. Yeah, and I think help that's important
1: and as you say mm. you know working with animals sometimes you see the worst but it's also sometimes you see the best Absolutely. which which, is,
2: which lifts mm. and inspires one yes exactly yes, it does mm. no that's mm. fascinating but i think it's been
1: it's been a wonderful talk that we've had today. I think we've got a lot of really important messages across. And thank you very much for your time. Thanks, and thanks I'm sure we will me. have you on again in the future.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Ains. I've mm, enjoyed it. It's a thank pleasure. You. Okay. And
1: thank you to the listeners for bearing with me on my first solo flight. I will be back on the 18th of November. I'll see you then.
0: This is cliffcentral.com.